We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 299 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, April 25th, 2022. And yes, this is episode 299 of the pod. One episode away are we from episode 300. And yes, it is officially. NFL Draft Week, a big week in the NFL, maybe the single biggest week of the NFL offseason. I mean, the week in which we have the start of the new league year and thus the start of free agency and of trades becoming official, uh, that is a big week as well. But NFL Draft Week is huge. You can never say enough about the job that the NFL has done in making the NFL Draft as big as it is. And of course, the question at the tops of our minds is, what, oh, what are our commanders going to do with their number 11 overall pick in this year's NFL draft? Well, the head coach of the commanders, Ron Rivera, spoke at length on Friday to Scott Abraham, sports anchor for ABC 7 News in Washington, D.C. And coming up, I'm going to go through the most significant things that our pal Ron had to say. Uh, Did Ron perhaps provide some tells on his thinking with what he'll ultimately do with that number 11 overall pick? Uh, Ron did discuss what he perceives to be the commander's needs. Uh, Also discussed drafting for need versus drafting for value. Also discussed the pressure that he has placed on himself and on his team in repeatedly saying that the 2022 season needs to be a step-forward season for the Commanders. Uh, There's a lot to go through. Go through it all, I shall, with you over the next two segments. Uh, Also on the show, major scare for the Capitals on Sunday night. Not what we wanted as Caps fans as the weekend came to a close. Uh, Alex Ovechkin in a 4-3 shootout loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs at Capital Win Arena on Sunday night suffered an upper body injury in the third period, did not return to the game. And what happened with Ovechkin was not pretty. Uh, Ovi crashed into the boards off getting tripped by the stick 
of the Maple Leafs goaltender, Eric Schulgren. Uh, thank you, Eric Schulgren. Uh, we don't know much about Ovechkin's status. Uh, we did get some encouraging words from TJ Oshie after the game. You will hear what Oshie had to say as you on this podcast always hear key audio from players, coaches, and executives in Washington, D.C. sports. I'll also give you my thoughts on the Caps' two games over the weekend, a 2 nothing win at the Arizona Coyotes on Friday night, and this shootout loss to the Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena on Sunday night as the Caps blew a 3-1 third-period lead. Uh, speaking of blowing, uh, the Nationals over the weekend got worked got wrecked, got victimized by the San Francisco Giants in a three-game sweep at Nationals Park. The Nats, over the three games, got outscored 24-6. Yes, 24-6, including a 12-3 loss on Sunday afternoon, during which the Nats' starting third baseman, Lucius Fox, left the game after just two pitches due to throwing up. On the field. Uh, yeah, you heard that right. Uh, what Lucius Fox did on Sunday afternoon was actually the perfect microcosm for the Nats weekend. Uh, I will sort through the wreckage of the Nats weekend coming up. Uh, I'll also talk Orioles on the show. The O's won two or three games at the Los Angeles Angels over the weekend. Uh, the O's did lose on Sunday, 7-6, but the O's got more good starting pitching and wins on Friday night and Saturday night. Also, have the O's found their closer in Jorge Lopez? Is another failed Orioles starter becoming a quality closer for the O's? Uh, Zach Britton did this. Is Jorge Lopez in the process of doing this? Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have received a lot of feedback on my interviews last week with Austin Gale and Chris Long. I uh, spoke with pro football focus NFL analyst and NFL draft analyst Austin Gale on last Wednesday's show, episode 296, about the commander's upcoming draft. I spoke with two-time Super Bowl champion Chris Long about Carson Wentz on last Thursday's show, episode 297. Chris played with Carson on the Philadelphia Eagles for two seasons, 2017, which was the Eagles' Super Bowl winning season, and 2018, tweet from Timothy Seiler on something that Austin Gale said on the podcast. Writes, Timothy, if the league has learned anything in the last few years, it is you need multiple playmakers at the receiver position. Amen. Church dismissed wide receiver at 11 for me. Thanks for another great pod. Uh, thank you, Timothy. Yeah, I want the Commanders with their number 11 pick in the 2022 draft, assuming that our Commanders do not trade up or down uh, to take the best player available. But it may well be that the best player available is a receiver. I mean, this draft appears to be loaded at receiver. And actually, that might be a reason to take a receiver later in the draft. But if you're operating in strict adherence to best player available to BPA, uh, then any of these top receivers in the draft could be the best player available at 11. Uh, USC's Drake London, Ohio State's Garrett Wilson, Ohio State's Chris Olave, uh, Alabama's Jamison Williams. You know, there are those who really like Georgia's George Pickens. Lots of intriguing receivers in this 2022 draft. A tweet from Mike Kordosky on the Chris Long interview uh, writes, Mike, 
Chris Long was very, very interesting. He's a good interview. Uh, yes, Mike, thank you for that. Tweet from Disco on what Chris Long said about Carson Wentz, writes Disco. A very tepid endorsement, a lot of ifs, but this is truly a high-risk, high-reward scenario. And as Chris said, Carson is desperate, which could bring out his best. Uh, yeah, so I think that the desperation thing is key. Uh, you can't fake desperation. And desperation can be a tremendous motivator. Uh, I don't know how Carson Wentz wouldn't look at this opportunity with the commanders as being his last chance at being an NFL team's unquestioned starting quarterback going into a season if he doesn't have a good season. Off everything that has happened with Wentz over the last few years, if he struggles with the commanders this coming season on and or off the field, then that may well be it for him ever going into a season as an NFL team's unquestioned starting quarterback. And so if you're Carson Wentz, wouldn't that reality motivate you and drive you and focus you to have a great season? Like, wouldn't this reality compel you to change your ways behind the scenes to whatever extent it those ways need to be changed. You know, Chris Long talked about Carson Wentz needing to be less stubborn. Uh, given what has happened with him over the last few years, how could he not choose to be less stubborn with the commanders given this opportunity that he has with the team? You know, we had that report from Commanders insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post on Friday morning saying that Carson Wentz, quote, is viewed by Washington coaches as more than just a bridge player or even an experimental fix, end quote. Uh, now, I took that as, yeah, I mean, what else are Commanders coaches going to say on and off the record regarding Wentz? Like, no, this guy has no shot, you know? <laughs> or, no, this guy is just a bridge, just an experiment. Like, of course, Commanders coaches are going to try to be positive and are going to try to build up Wentz's confidence and are going to try to build up teammates' confidence in Wentz. But Wentz, off everything that has happened with him over the last few years, hopefully is poised to really maximize and take advantage of this opportunity that he's getting with the commanders. Uh, much more on our commanders shortly from their head coach, Ron Rivera who, as you likely know, is a cancer survivor. Uh, the cancer that Ron had was a form of skin cancer called squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, skin cancer is among the most common of all cancers in the United States, but skin cancer also is among the most curable forms of cancer. Get checked, get screened, and someone who can very much help you with that is Dr. George Verghese. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big fan of the commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. In fact, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings and offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are the DMV's number one outlet for Mohs 
skin cancer surgery, and for superficial radiation therapy, or SRT, which is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. You won't find better, more state-of-the-art, or more comprehensive skin treatments and services than what you can get from Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Early detection and treatment of skin cancer save lives. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you tell the Institute that Al Galdi sent you, but call 301 306-3401. 396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. So did you see the reports over the last few days about New York Giants receiver Kadarius Toney? Uh, the Giants reportedly are shopping or maybe shopping Tony. Uh, this is the same Kadarius Tony who the Giants took with the number 20 pick in the 2021 NFL draft out of Florida. This is the same Kadarius Tony who came up a lot regarding Washington going into the 2021 draft in which Washington had the number 19 pick. Uh, multiple major mock drafts had Washington taking Tony in that 2021 draft. Washington, of course, did not take Tony with that number 19 pick. Washington took linebacker Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. But that the Giants already reportedly are at least open to trading Kadarius Tony is a reminder of the inexact science that is the NFL draft, right? How a prospect who looks so enticing now can be someone who you can't wait to trade later. Uh, Let us hope that whoever the commanders take with their number 11 overall pick in the 2022 draft does not end up being shopped by the commanders a year from now. Uh, The 2022 draft is this week, this Thursday through Saturday in Las Vegas. Uh, The first round is on Thursday night. The second and third rounds are on Friday night, and rounds four through seven are on Saturday. We are expecting a pre-draft press conference for our commander's head coach, Ron Rivera, at some point this week. But Ron on Friday spoke with a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, Scott Abraham, sports anchor for ABC7 News in Washington, D.C. And Ron said some things that are worth talking about. So we all have our opinions on what the commander's needs are going into this draft. Uh, Personally, I think that the commanders have a need at every position group on offense and defense. Now, the needs aren't all equal. In other words, the commanders to me have more of a need at, say, corner than the commanders have a need at, say, offensive line. But the commanders to me are not absolutely set at any one position group on offense or defense. But what does Ron Rivera think? Uh, What does the head coach in the coach-centric approach think? What does the Don of Commander's football operations think? What does Don Ron think? Because that's really what matters the most here, right? That's what's going to drive what the Commanders do in the 2022 draft more than anything. Uh, Here was Ron to Scott Abraham on what the Commander's biggest needs are going into the 2022 draft. Well, you know, we, we handled the biggest need in this past offseason. 
brought in Carson Wentz, and, and now what we got to do is we got to look at a couple aspects as far as as who he is for us. You know, we got to be able to protect him, and we got to put playmakers around him. Then you take a look at our defensive side, and you go, okay. What did we miss last year that we didn't have, and what do we got to get consistent with? And so we'll address those as well. I mean, to us, the needs on on on, on both sides of the ball are are important, and there are needs that if we get the right guy, that maintains that situation and, and handles it for us very nicely. So you heard Ron Rivera in that answer give what has become one of his favorite talking points. Uh, we got ourselves a quarterback in Carson Wentz. Now we need to protect him and put playmakers around him. Uh, Ron has been emphasizing that a lot, the needs to protect Carson Wentz and put playmakers around Carson Wentz. And of course, Ron isn't wrong about that, Uh, though I would add that what Ron is saying is true of any quarterback. You want to protect that quarterback. You want to put playmakers around that quarterback. And then the second part of the answer was Ron speaking rather generically about needs on defense. So bottom line, Ron in that answer said that every position on offense and defense except quarterback is in need. And you're going to hear Ron address quarterback coming up shortly. But that answer from Ron to me was very much a Joe Gibbs-like answer in that Ron said a lot, but really didn't say much. And that's just fine. We're going into an NFL draft. You don't want the person presiding over your team's football operations to just be giving away uh, what he's thinking. I do think that it's worth highlighting, though, that Ron is including the offensive line as being potentially addressed in this draft. Uh, And I'm fine with that. Um, You know where I stand on the NFL draft. Best player available. I am a BPA guy. Uh, I want the commanders, with each of their picks, taking the best player available. Now, whether they're going to do that is a different conversation. But to me, that really is the guiding light. That is the North Star for an NFL team in an NFL draft. Best player available. And there are multiple factors that go into best player available, including positional value, but there are some really good offensive tackles in this 2022 draft. You know, so much of the focus has been on the receivers and on the defensive backs and, you know, to a lesser extent, the quarterbacks, but there are some good offensive tackles in this 2022 draft, uh, Charles Cross of Mississippi State, Ikem Aquanu of NC State, uh, Evan Neal of Alabama. If one of those guys is available to the commanders at 11, and the commanders have that guy as the best player on their draft board in terms of those players still available in the 2022 draft, then the commanders should take that guy. Uh, to me, it shouldn't matter that the commanders already have Charles Leno Jr. and Samuel Cosme, if the team believes that an offensive tackle available to the team at 11 is the best player available and can be a stud offensive tackle for years to come, then take the guy, you know? You could always do something like move Cosme to guard. Now, interesting that Ron Rivera said that every position on offense and defense except quarterback is in need. What about the commanders potentially taking a quarterback? in the 2022 draft. Uh, I have said for months that I want the commanders open to taking a quarterback in the 2022 draft, including in the first round. Uh, I do recognize that the commanders taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 draft is almost certainly not happening. Uh, I think that where things could get really interesting is on days two and three of the draft. Uh, Do the commanders just not like any of the quarterbacks in this draft? Or are the commanders intrigued enough by, say, a Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati or a Sam Howell of North Carolina or a Carson Strong of Nevada to where the commanders would take one of those guys 
in the second round or later. And it may be that Ritter isn't available in the second round, but you get the idea. Ron Rivera has said that the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz does not preclude them from taking a quarterback in the 2022 draft. Maybe Ron has said that just to say that, or maybe Ron has said that because he truly means that. Uh, But here was Ron affirming this idea that the commanders having traded for Wentz does not preclude them from taking a quarterback in the 2022 draft to Scott Abraham. Right, fair? it won't because you know you you've got to also have a guy for the future. I mean, we have Taylor right now right. As, as as. But you also have another roster spot in a sense for a quarterback. Absolutely. So if there's a guy that we like, somebody that we had projected to be one of those guys, um, and he's sitting there at the right round, yeah, there's nothing says that we can't take him. Yeah, remember Ron Rivera told Commanders Insider Ben Standig of the Athletic prior to the NFL Scouting Combine this year that the Commanders' a quarterback depth chart plan was a veteran, another veteran and likely a rookie. Uh, the commanders have their two veteran quarterbacks in Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. To me, you need three quarterbacks on your team, not two. I mean, the position is that important, and the commanders have enough uncertainty at the position to where they need options. You know, Kyle Allen is gone. Uh, the commanders non-tendered him, making him an unrestricted free agent. He signed with the Houston Texans. So the commanders do not have a QB3 at the moment. And to me, you need a QB3. And, you know, you also have to think about it like this. Your QB3 could end up becoming your QB2 or even your QB1. Uh, But the commanders are living dangerously. They only have two quarterbacks on the team in the 2022 season. If any NFL team should have three quarterbacks, it is our commanders. Uh, Washington has started at least three different quarterbacks in each of the last four regular seasons. 2018, Alex Smith, Colt McCoy, Mark Sanchez, and Josh Johnson. 2019, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, and Dwayne Haskins. 2020, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Alex Smith. And then in the postseason, Taylor Heineke. 2021, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Garrett Gilbert. So yeah, uh, especially for our team, uh, you need three viable quarterback options. All right, so off Ron Rivera addressing what he perceives as the commander's needs entering the 2022 draft, what about the perpetual debate of drafting for need versus drafting the best player available? Uh, I am a best player available guy. I know that some of you are not, but where does Ron Rivera stand? This was Ron to Scott Abraham on drafting for need versus, as Scott put it, drafting for value. I think it depends on where you are in the draft at that time. You know, if you're looking in the first round, if you only have one position that you truly need, then that's the one position that you go out and draft. But if you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, we've got two or three guys that will fill the needs of of the different positions, then you take the best one. Because to me, at that point, now you can because you have a few holes that you fill. But if you got one one hole and it's early in the draft, it's the first round, there's got to be at least three guys that fit that bill for you. And I can't imagine all three wouldn't be there. Okay, so I don't know about you, but that answer to me sounded like Ron Rivera saying that he is more of a draft for need guy than a draft for value guy or a draft the best player available guy. Uh, Again, though, if Ron truly believes that the commanders have needs to varying degrees at every position group on offense and defense, then whether he is a draft for need guy or a draft the best player available guy really won't matter much. I just always come back to this. Needs change. 
You know, what you think isn't a need now can emerge as a need later, depending on injury, performance, and other issues. Uh, That's why I think that an NFL team should draft with the philosophy of best player available, unless that team is a Super Bowl contender that truly feels that it is a player or two away from winning a Super Bowl title. Uh, Our commanders are not Super Bowl contenders, not yet anyway. Uh, But Scott Abraham then asked Ron Rivera a follow-up question. What position does Ron view the commanders as being in going into the 2022 draft? Drafting for need or drafting for value? Well, I think I think the two things that, that we have to do when you look at our offensive side, again, the, the, the need is to make sure the protection is solid and make sure there's enough playmakers for Carson. When you look at the defensive side is, okay, what is that one area, that one element that we really missed? And then we got to go out and attack it. So, you know, we're, we're at a point where if, you're, if you are drafting for need, you're going to fill the, 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 the one spot. Um, if, you're, if you're taking the best player, it could be any of four positions. So uh, there were those talking points from Ron Rivera. Again, we need to protect Carson Wentz. We need to put playmakers around Wentz. And on defense, we need to identify the areas or elements that we most missed. Again, very vague, very generic answer, which is fine. As a fan of the commanders, I do not want Ron just giving away what he's truly thinking going into the 2022 draft. Well, unfortunately, Holmes in the Washington, D.C. area are not just being given away. Uh, Homes in the D.C. area are expensive, and the competition for homes in the D.C. area can be fierce. And so that's why if you're looking to buy a home in the D.C. area, you need to go with Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent. Did you know that in Chevy Chase, Maryland, 66% of homes are sold Within 10 days of being listed on Capitol Hill, 60% of homes listed are sold in 10 days or less. In Georgetown, 43% of sales thus far this year have been cash transactions. Kellen Hunt will guide you through the process of buying a home that is right for you. My man Kel understands what it's like out there right now. Uh, Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He puts the real back in real estate. Whether you are a first-time buyer, looking for guidance, whether you are part of a young family that needs space to grow, whether you are an empty nester ready to retire, Kellen Hunt will guide you through the process of buying a home. Uh, You need someone who understands the market and who can match you with a home that meets your needs. Because what real estate truly is about is you, your needs, your dreams, finding the right place for you. Kellen Hunt understands this. And Kellen Hunt isn't just a realtor. He's a young entrepreneur. He's a father. He's a husband. He's a homeowner himself. He's smart, creative, and above all, Kellen Hunt gets it. Plus, Kel will put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So here's what you do. Go to closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L dot com, and book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs. Uh, make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. That website, again, is closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell.com. And tell your friends, your cousins, your aunties, your coworkers, tell everyone you know who's buying a home to book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at Kell. 
Home.com and see what Kellen Hunt can do for you. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. All right, more now from Commander's Head Coach Ron Rivera in his conversation with Scott Abraham, sports anchor for ABC 7 News in Washington, D.C. on Friday, as we get set for the Commanders in this week's 2022 NFL Draft. So an undeniable theme this Commander's offseason has been Ron himself saying that the Commander's 2022 season needs to be a step-forward season. Uh, Ron has made this point multiple times. He actually first made the point last season. Uh, So Washington this past January 2nd fell to 6-10 and and was officially eliminated from playoff contention with a 2016 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. Ron Rivera the next day, January 3rd, in his day after the game Zoom press conference, said the following, quote, this offseason is going to be very important, very vital to what I think is part of the plan. It's time, I think, that we see this team start to take that big step forward, end quote. And I made a big deal out of those comments from Ron Rivera at the time because I thought that those comments were a big deal. Ron had not spoken like that previously, but he since then has spoken like that multiple times. Uh, Ron Rivera at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida in late March in a conversation with Commanders insider John Kime of ESPN said of pressure on the Commanders to do well, quote, I do feel it. This is the year that says we're going to ascend and we should be ascending, end quote. Uh, So Ron Rivera has not been shy about expectations for the commanders in the 2022 season. Ron is very much acknowledging that the time for a winning season for the commanders and really the time for a playoff season for the commanders is this coming season. Uh, Now, yes, Washington did win the NFC East in Ron's first season as a team's head coach, but of course, the team had a losing record in that season, right? Washington went 7-9 and in the 2020 regular season that did feature Washington winning the NFC East. Understand, uh, our team has not had a winning record in a regular season since the 2016 regular season, and it's not like the team went, you know, 12-4, and in the 2016 regular season. The Redskins in the 2016 regular season went 8-7-1, but missed the playoffs. Our team has had a losing record in each of the last five regular seasons, 2017 through 2021. Our team has not won at least 10 games in a regular season in a decade, 2012. So to say that our team is in need of a winning record is uh, putting things mildly, okay? And this is a big part of why there was this desperation this offseason for the Commanders to get a franchise quarterback. This is a big part of why the Commanders made the trade for Carson Wentz. This fear that they weren't going to get a franchise quarterback or a potential franchise quarterback in this offseason, leading up to a season in which the team is desperate to have a winning record. But of course, also going on with our commanders this offseason is the off the field stuff. Uh, you know, the name change, the workplace misconduct scandal, the financial scandal, congressional involvement in those scandals. I mean, it feels like it has been one thing after another. And so 
Here was Ron Rivera to Scott Abraham on whether Ron is feeling a sizable amount of pressure, not just based on wanting for the 2022 season to be a step forward season for the Commanders, but with everything happening off the field with the Commanders. I think the only, I, I, the the pressure about winning doesn't bother me. It doesn't. It, it, it's it's having to deal with that stuff that's not fair, um, you know. And 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 again, because you know, I do separate it because I say, you know, that ha- this is way over here. This happened well before we were called the commanders. Okay, this is a different group of people with a different agenda, with a different way of doing things, with a different approach, and I like to believe a new culture, a different culture. Okay, so what we do over here, please judge us from that. Okay, this other stuff, yeah, this is this is important stuff. But this is stuff that should be handled. But please, you know, I don't need to be drawn into it. Our players don't need to be drawn into it. Okay, we understand, we get it. So I, that's what I'm trying to do, Scott. Is I'm just trying to make sure that people understand there's a separation between the past, what happened in the past, and, and what we're doing now. The, the things that we've corrected, the, the direction that we're heading, the way we're trying to be. I think that's important. I think people should know that that we are trying to correct these things and make sure these things don't ever happen again. All right. So I hear Ron Rivera on all of that. Uh, I do get where Ron is coming from with all of that. But what stuck out to me more than anything from that answer from Ron was him early in the answer saying, quote, it's having to deal with that stuff that's not fair, end quote. Uh, Look, man, the off the field stuff, the scandal stuff has to do with Dan Snyder and the team in the past. Uh, Not you. I think everyone with a brain understands that. All right. But you are the head coach of the team. And so the off the field stuff, the scandal stuff does end up being associated with you. Uh, Ron took the job as Washington head coach, very much knowing that a big part of the job was orchestrating a culture change. He has talked about that. Heck, Dan Snyder has talked about that. And so having to deal with the stuff that's not fair is part of going through this culture change. Uh, Right or wrong, fair or not, that is the situation. And while the situation has ended up being much worse than Ron could have ever imagined when he took the job as Washington head coach in January 2020, the situation, as the saying goes, is what it is. Uh, you know, Ron's getting paid millions of dollars per year. Jay Gruden reportedly made $5 million per year as Redskins head coach, and he was just the head coach. Ron Rivera is the commander's head coach in terms of his official title, but as we all know, he also runs football operations, right? He is the head coach in the coach-centric approach. So my guess is that Ron is making well north of $5 million per year. Uh, my guess is that Ron's making $7 million dollars per year or thereabouts. So, you know, that's a lot of money. Okay. And to whatever extent the situation is unfair, hey, you know, you're making in the neighborhood here of $7 million per year, seven mil. Okay. Like if the situation is that unfair, don't accept the check. Okay. But if you are accepting the check, then accept the responsibility, even though yes, the responsibility has ended up being a lot more than Ron probably could have ever imagined when he took the job as Washington head coach in January 2020. And I am sympathetic to Ron in that regard. I mean, it has become absurd the extent to which all of this off-the-field stuff has come up over Ron's now two-plus years 
as Washington head coach. Like, I get it. I do. And I like Ron Rivera a lot, and I'm rooting very hard for him to ultimately succeed here as commander's head coach. But, you know, he came into this situation knowing that a culture change was needed. That was a big part of the job description when he took the job as Washington head coach. And unfortunately for him and for the rest of us, the culture change has become about fixing a culture that was much worse than we ever could have imagined. Uh, Now, the 2022 season will be Ron's third season as Washington head coach. His regular season record as Washington head coach is 14 and 19. What if this 2022 season for the Commanders does not go well? Given Ron having repeatedly said that the Commanders 2022 season needs to be a step forward season, would the Commanders 2022 season not being a step forward season cost Ron his job? Ron Rivera to Scott Abraham on whether setting high expectations for the Commanders in the 2022 season could backfire on Ron. Well, if I, if, if, whether we set expectations or not, if you have a poor season, you, it's going to happen. So will it backfire for me saying no? I don't think so. You know, because um, first of all, by saying what I'm saying, it's just telling everybody that my, my expectations, my intent is for us to win. And that's what I'm working to do. So if we don't, you know, then, hey, it's still on me. Win or lose, it's on me. Whether I say it now or I say it seven, eight, you know, days after the season's over. So, I'm, you know, and, and I tell you, I'm not afraid of it. I mean, that's what I do. I've been involved with it. This is what my, my, my 30, 30. 37th year in the league, playing and coaching. So that's, that's the nature of what I do. Uh, I like that answer from Rod Rivera. The truth is that whether he says that the Commanders 2022 season needs to be a step forward season or not, anyone who is paying attention knows that the Commanders 2022 season needs to be a step forward season. Now, is Ron's job as Commanders head coach on the line this coming season? Well, I would say this, if the Commanders have a disastrous 2022 season, if the team goes, say, 6-11 and 11 or worse, uh, then yes, I do think that Ron could be fired. Uh, but I also don't think that Dan Snyder is looking to fire Ron Rivera. Uh, Ron reportedly signed a five-year contract when he was hired as Washington head coach in January 2020. So Dan, if he fired Ron after this coming season, would owe Ron for the remaining two years on his contract and would have to pay off whatever is left on the contracts of Ron's assistant coaches and would have to pay off whatever is left on the contracts of the major front office executives who Ron hired, you know, guys like Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney. Also, remember, the commanders this offseason reportedly have given offensive coordinator Scott Turner a contract extension and the extension is believed to run through the 2024 season. That's significant because the 2024 season is the final season of Ron's contract. Uh, Seems to me that Dan Snyder would not have approved a contract extension for Scott Turner if Dan was thinking that there's a decent chance that he'll be firing Ron within the next 10 months. Now, does Dan have the money to fire Ron and his crew? Yes. But do I believe that Dan wants to fire Ron and his crew or is looking to fire Ron and his crew? No. So unless uh, Dan is given ample reason 
to fire Ron and his crew after this coming season. Uh, I don't think that Ron Rivera will be gone after this coming season. Uh, Also, because of this, uh, I think that the Commanders have a really good shot at having a winning 2022 season. Uh, Washington in the 2021 regular season faced the hardest schedule in the NFL for football outsiders DVOA metric based on the average team DVOA of Washington's opponents. Washington in the 2021 regular season had dealt with a truckload of injuries on offense. Uh, Washington in the 2021 regular season had a defense that was a massive disappointment over the team's first eight games. Washington in the 2021 regular season dealt with a major COVID outbreak late in the season. All of these things happened last season, and yet Washington in the 2021 regular season went 7-10. and 10. Now, that's not a great record, but that's also not some debacle of a season given the circumstances. And as you probably know by now, Washington, on the surface, has a much easier schedule for the 2022 regular season. Uh, NFL analytics pioneer Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Analysis on March 31st came out with his NFL strength of schedule rankings for the 2022 regular season. I really like how Sharp does his strength of schedule rankings because he doesn't do the rankings based on teams' records from the previous season. That, to me, is like one of the worst ways to do strength of schedule going into a season. No, Sharp does his strength of schedule rankings for upcoming seasons based on projected win totals from Las Vegas odds makers. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Vegas knows of what it speaks. And Sharp ranked the Commanders as having the easiest schedule in the NFL for the 2022 regular season. So given the schedule, given the unlikely nature of all that went wrong for Washington in the 2021 regular season, again going wrong in the 2022 regular season, I don't think that it's far-fetched that the Commanders have a winning record for the 2022 regular season, especially if Carson Wentz, especially if Commander Carson plays well or is at least just decent. Now, I get it. Big picture, the bar shouldn't be having a winning record, right? Big picture, the bar should be being a Super Bowl contender. But for a lot of different reasons, the goal for the Commanders for this 2022 regular season is have a winning record for the first time since the 2016 regular season and hopefully make the playoffs. I think if you put those things on a piece of paper right now, Ron Rivera would sign that piece of paper in a heartbeat if signing that piece of paper guaranteed that those things would happen. Commanders have a winning record in the 2022 regular season, and the Commanders make the playoffs for the 2022 season, even if that means being ousted in the wild card round of the playoffs. But, you know, if you're being honest and objective about things, to me, as bad as last season felt for Washington, and there's no doubt, last season felt bad for Washington, right? It did not feel like a good season at all. But as bad as last season felt for Washington... The season actually wasn't as bad as it has been made out to be. And so I think that there's at least a decent possibility that all of this pressure that Ron Rivera is putting on the commanders to have a step forward season this coming season will be met with a step forward season taking place. Well, if you have been wronged, always know that the law firm of Polson and Nace will step forward for you. Uh, The law firm of Paulson and Nace is always there for you. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions. Uh, Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, 
and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. And Paulson and NACE is excellent at what it does. Paulson and NACE has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, I've known the NACEs for 25 plus years. Chris NACE is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt NACE is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. These are good people. These are smart people. Uh, These are Washington, D.C. people. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and NACE. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, you have questions, call Paulson and NACE and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and NACE at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and NACE that Al Galdi sent you, but schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So as the Capitals 2021-2022 regular season winds down and we prepare for yet another Caps run in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you think about, okay, well, what matters for the Caps over their remaining regular season games? The Caps now have just three regular season games left. And there are several things that matter for the Caps over these games, but nothing matters more than the Caps not suffering any serious injuries. And so you hated to see what we saw on Sunday night, Alex Ovechkin getting hurt. Now, how hurt he is isn't clear, but he was hurt enough to leave the game and not return to the game. Uh, the Caps on Sunday night lost to the Toronto Maple Leafs 4-3 in a shootout at Capital One Arena. And yeah, Alex Ovechkin got hurt. Uh, the great eight, the greatest player in Caps history, maybe the greatest goal scorer in NHL history. A man who was having yet another tremendous season got hurt. Uh, He left the game in the third period with an upper body injury. Uh, He got hurt off crashing into the boards, off getting tripped by the stick of the Maple Leafs goaltender, Eric Shulgren. Uh, No penalty was called, by the way, but Ovechkin's left arm and shoulder made contact with the boards. Uh, Now, Ovechkin did get to his feet. He skated off the ice without his stick. Uh, Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Sunday night did not have an update on Ovechkin or did not want to provide an update on Ovechkin. This, though, was TJ Oshie during a postgame press conference on Sunday night. I, uh, I don't think I've never met anyone tougher than that guy, so... Um. You know, we we all we all hope he's fine. I just talked to him. And, you know, I think he'll be he'll be all right. So it's always scary seeing Big Eight go go down and lay on the ice. He's uh, like I said, he's a tough guy. So, um, but if there was anyone I would imagine would be would miss any more time than he needs to. It'd be it'd be eight. All right, so good to hear that from T.J. Oshie, who on Sunday night had a first period, even strength goal, three shots on goal, and four hits. Uh, As you likely know, Alex Ovechkin has been incredibly durable during his NHL career. I mean, he has missed so few games 
in his NHL career due to injury. But I would have like no problem with the Caps just playing things conservatively with Ovechkin and having him sit out at least a game or two uh, during this Caps stretch of three regular season games to go in this season. Uh, Ovechkin on Sunday night, by the way, still finished with a game-high tying four shots on goal, also had four hits. So the Caps played two games over the weekend. Friday night, a 2-0 win at the Arizona Coyotes as the Caps concluded a 3-1 and one road trip. Uh, the five-game road trip was the Caps' longest road trip this season, and the Caps' continued excellence on the road really is impressive. Uh, the Caps improved to 9-1-2 and two over their last 12 road games and improved to 25-8-6 and six on the road in this 2021-2022 regular season. I mean, think about that. 25-8-6 and six on the road. Uh, the Caps, through games on Friday, led the NHL in this 2021-2022 regular season in road points with 56 and in road points percentage at 718. Uh, then on Sunday night came this 4-3 shootout loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena. And the Caps in this game blew it. Uh, the Caps blew a 3-1 third period lead, although the Caps did get to 100 points in the 2021-2022 regular season. Caps now are 44-23-12. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins lost at the Philadelphia Flyers 4-1 on Sunday. That was good. But the Boston Bruins won at the Montreal Canadiens 5-3 on Sunday night. Uh, that was not good. Uh, so the Caps at 100 points now are just one point behind the Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division. But the Caps now are three points behind the Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we know that the Caps are going to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Seeding is what's left to be determined. Uh, what also still needs to be determined is the Caps goaltending situation. Who will be the Caps starting goaltender in game one of their first round series in the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs? Vitek Vanacek or Ilya Samsonov? Well, Vitek Vanacek was the Caps starting goaltender in each game for them over the weekend. Uh, Vanacek in the 2 nothing win at the Coyotes on Friday night was a Caps starting goaltender for just a third time in nine games, but Vanacek pitched a shutout. Uh, he stopped all 19 of the shots on goal that he faced for his fourth shutout of the 2021-2022 regular season. Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped all seven of the high-danger shots on goal that he faced. Then Vanacek, in the 4-3 shootout loss to the Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena on Sunday night, stopped 27 of the 30 shots on goal that he faced. Vanacek, per Natural stat trick stopped eight of the 10 high danger shots on goal that he faced and stopped nine of the 10 medium danger shots on goal that he faced. So Vanacek was good on Friday night, not as good on Sunday night, although I wouldn't necessarily say that he was like really bad on Sunday night. Uh, but here was Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Sunday night on the performance of Vitek Vanacek in the 4-3 shootout loss to the Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena. Yeah, I mean, he, he made some big saves in there. Um, you know, there's, um, there's times where I think we can do things better in front of him. Um, you know, like on the second goal, I think we gave too much time, too much space. Extra attackers, like a man down. Um, we got to do a better job with that. Um, but I thought VTech played well. Yeah, the Caps on Sunday night did blow that 3-1 third period lead. That was pretty disappointing. But the Caps did have a good weekend in terms of puck possession. Uh, the Caps 
in their 2 nothing win at the Coyotes on Friday night per natural. Statrick had 46 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Coyotes, 33. And the Caps had 29 shots on goal to the Coyotes, 19. Uh, the Caps in that game did not get called for a single penalty the entire game. Then the Caps in their 4-3 shootout loss to the Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena on Sunday night per natural. Statrick had 55 five-on-five shot attempts to the Maple Leafs, 41. And the Caps finished with 37 shots on goal to the Maple Leafs, 30. Uh, the Caps in the game went 2-2 two two on the penalty kill. Caps power play did have a bad weekend. Friday night, 0-4. Sunday night, 0-3. But defenseman John Carlson had a good weekend. Uh, Carlson in the 2 nothing win at the Coyotes on Friday night had a third period even strength empty net goal, giving him a career-high 16 goals in this 2021-2022 regular season. And then Carlson in the 4-3 shootout loss to the Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena on Sunday night had the secondary assist on a Lars Eller third period even strength goal. The assist gave Carlson 70 points in this regular season, making him just the 18th defenseman in NHL history with at least three 70-point regular seasons. Also, Carlson on Sunday night per natural stat trick was number three on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 71.88. The Caps with Carlson on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 23 shot attempts versus allowing nine shot attempts. Uh, Marcus Johansson had the other Caps goal on Sunday night. He had a third period even strength goal. But the weekend really ends up being about Alex Ovechkin and the severity of this upper body injury that he suffered in the third period on Sunday night. Uh, You know, beyond the Ovechkin injury, the Caps lately have just been dealing with those two long-term injuries in terms of those for forwards Carl Hagelin and Joe Snively. Uh, Hagelin out indefinitely off having undergone left eye surgery on March 1st. Snively is out due to a left wrist injury. The Caps on March 6th announced that Snively had undergone a left wrist procedure and would be out four to six weeks. In the meantime, like I said, Caps have three regular season games left. Next up for the Caps, home to the New York Islanders, Tuesday night at 7. Up next on the show, I'm talking Nationals. Did you hear about, or even worse, see, what happened with Lucius Fox on Sunday afternoon? I'll get to that and much more from a not-so-good weekend for the Nats against the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park after this. Well, this isn't the most pleasant thing, but it's <laughs> it's impossible not to view this as like perfectly fitting for what happened with the Nationals over the weekend. Uh, the Nats starting third baseman on Sunday afternoon, Lucius Fox left the game just two pitches into the game due to throwing up on the field. Uh, yes, Lucius Fox vomited on the field. And making things even worse is that the actual act of Lucius Fox uh, puking was caught on Masson. And so if you watch the game, you saw the actual act of him throwing up take place. Uh, I'm not trying to gross everyone out, 
But this actually happened on Sunday afternoon. And given the way that the Nats weekend went, you could say that what Lucius Fox did was a perfect representation of the Nats weekend. Uh, the Nats got swept in their three-game series with the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park over the weekend. Friday night, a 7-1 loss. Saturday afternoon, a 5-2 loss. Sunday afternoon, a 12-3 loss. The Nats now have lost five consecutive games. The Nats this season now are 6-12. and The Nats this season have the second-worst run differential in the majors at minus 38. Uh, the Nats are a bad baseball team, people. And, you know, we coming into the season knew that this would probably be the case. Uh, the Nats are a rebuilding team, even though they do not like to publicly say that they are a rebuilding team. But this past weekend was rough, including, yes, the Lucius Fox throw-up incident. Uh, so, yeah, he Sunday afternoon was the Nats starting third baseman with the Nats' usual starting third baseman, Michael Franco, serving as the Nats' starting first baseman because Josh Bell is dealing with right hamstring tightness and two pitches into the game, Lucius Fox threw up. Uh, he promptly left the game. Franco moved from first base to third base and the Nats' backup catcher, Riley Adams, took over at first base in what was his first career major league regular season appearance at first base. Uh, now, Franco went 0 for 4. Uh, Adams went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. But yeah, uh, you had all kinds of moving around in that Nats infield in the top of the first inning. And, you know, I mentioned Josh Bell not starting on Sunday afternoon due to right hamstring tightness. Now, he was said to be available in an emergency situation. We found out after the game that Victor Robles, who did not start or play on Sunday afternoon, was dealing with groin tightness. So the Nats were about as shallow as a baseball team can be in terms of position player depth on Sunday afternoon. Uh, but with Bell, so he in game two of this series, the 5-2 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon, was the Nats starting first baseman and number four batter. Uh, he drew a walk, but then left the game after two innings due to the right hamstring tightness. Second time in four games that Bell left the game early due to a leg issue. Uh, Bell left the Nats 11-2 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks in Nationals Park this past Wednesday night due to an ailing left knee. Now, neither ailment appears to be serious, but each ailment uh, was serious enough to cause him to leave a game early. And Bell did end up not playing on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Josh Bell has been the Nats' best hitter this season. Team best OPS of 955, but he right now pretty clearly is banged up, and the Nats hitting right now is brutal. Uh, the Nats in this three-game sweep by the Giants at Nationals Park got outscored 24-6. Uh, no doubt the 24 stands out, but so too does the 6. Uh, the Nats just are not scoring many runs right now. The Nats just are not hitting right now. The Nats through 18 games this season have a team OPS of just 6-10, which is quite bad. Uh, way too many Nats aren't hitting right now. Nelson Cruz has been brutal. And I say this as someone who applauded the Nats signing Cruz as a free agent. And I still believe that Cruz will hit for the Nats this season. But, you know, this is his age 41 season. At some point, his great hitting is going to come to an end. Maybe that end is happening before our eyes. I still would say that Cruz will hit this season, but you have to at least be open to the possibility that this is the fall-off season for Nelson Cruz. We'll see. But Cruz in this series, 0 for 10 with two walks. Uh, he was an at starting DH and number three batter in every game in the series. He went 0 for 10 
with two walks. Uh, Cruz now in the 2022 regular season, batting average of just 169, on base percentage of just 260, slugging percentage of just 262. Uh, Juan Soto, he had a rough series. Uh, Soto was an ad starting right fielder and number two batter in every game in the series. He in the series went just two for 12 with a double and a single and he drew no walks. When's the last time that that happened? Juan Soto in a series of at least three games drawing no walks, uh, and yet Juan Soto walkless in this three-game sweep of the Nats by the Giants at Nationals Park. And the other thing with Soto is he really is struggling so far this season with runners in scoring position. Now, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this because the sample size is small, but Soto so far in this 2022 regular season is a mere one for 13 with a single and a walk with runners in scoring position. Uh, His overall batting numbers for the season aren't bad, but he has been struggling lately. Uh, Alcides Escobar, man, he is killing the Nats right now. Uh, Why the Nats won't just call up Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester, I don't understand. I get it that Luis Garcia isn't a perfectly polished player, but he did hit for the Nats at the major league level as last season went on. He has been hitting quite well for AAA Rochester. It's interesting, Luis Garcia, who is a middle infielder, a combo shortstop second baseman, has been playing mostly shortstop for Rochester. Like, bring him up. He's young. He has upside. Let's lose with him as opposed to losing with Alcides Escobar, who is in his age 35 season. Escobar is coming off like a guy who is done. And I say this fully acknowledging that Escobar was a pleasant surprise for the Nats in the 2021 regular season. But so far this season, he looks slow at shortstop and he isn't hitting. Uh, Escobar was an at starting shortstop in every game in this series. He in the series went 0 for 11. Uh, Alcides Escobar now in the 2022 regular season, batting average of just 132, on base percentage of just 207, slugging percentage of just 151. He is slugging 151. And we had an incident with Escobar in this series. Uh, The Nats 7-1 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Friday night. Escobar was jawing at the Giants' dugout after the end of the top of the ninth inning. Uh, The end came with Escobar throwing out Tyro Estrada by a mile at home as Estrada was trying to score on a two-out single by Brandon Crawford. The shallow left field with the Giants leading 7-1. Uh, Escobar took exception to the Giants trying to score while leading 7-1 and then got into it with the Giants. I mean, to me, this whole thing was so dumb. The Giants were up 7-1, not, you know, 19-1, 7-1. A six-run lead in baseball is not insurmountable. And you know what? Even if it was, I never liked the thing of, oh, stop running up the score on us. You know, like, if you don't like a team scoring on you, stop the team from scoring on you. I think it is such loser talk and loser behavior to whine and or complain about an opposing team scoring on you when that team is beating you badly. I did not like that from Alcides Escobar on Friday night. Uh, And also with Alcides Escobar in this series was some more bad defense. Now, how much of this was on Escobar, it's hard to say, but in the Nats 12-3 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon, we had another miscommunication between Escobar and Michael Franco. We've had way too many of these so far this season. Uh, this latest miscommunication came in the Giants' two-run second. Joanna Doan, who was an ad-starting pitcher, gave up a leadoff full-count single. 
to Tyro Estrada on a bouncer on which the Nats uh, shortstop, Alcides Escobar, and third baseman, Michael Franco, had a miscommunication or a lack of communication and collided with each other. Uh, that was rough, and uh, that's like a bad news Bears thing, you know? Two infielders colliding into each other like that. Uh, this was a really bad series for the Nats, this three-game sweep to the Giants at Nationals Park. But back to the Nats' offense. Uh, so bad is the Nats' offense right now that Nats manager Davey Martinez for the 5-2 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon made a major lineup change uh, for the first time in 17 games in the 2022 regular season for the Nats. Cesar Hernandez was not the Nats' leadoff batter. Uh, Hernandez had been the Nats' number one man in Davey's lineup consistently this season, but Cesar Hernandez was not the Nats' number one batter on Saturday afternoon. Lane Thomas was the number one batter, and Hernandez got dropped to the number six spot. And this was notable not just because of what the lineups had been previously, but because Davey, back on March 15th at a press conference at Nats Spring Training, said that he wanted Cesar Hernandez to be the Nats' leadoff batter for the 2022 season. Quote, I love for him to be our leadoff hitter. And quote, uh, well, as we saw with Victor Robles as the Nats' number one batter to begin last season, what we think will be the case can not last for very long if a guy is struggling. And Hernandez has been struggling, or at least he had been struggling. Uh, Hernandez actually did quite well over the final two games of this series. Uh, Hernandez on Saturday afternoon, two for four with two singles. Lane Thomas on Saturday afternoon, one for four with an RBI single and two strikeouts. Uh, and then on Sunday afternoon, Cesar Hernandez was back to being the Nats number one batter as a starting second baseman. And he went two for four with a double and an infield single. So Hernandez had two hits in each of the final two games in this series. Uh, Hernandez on Sunday afternoon in the bottom of the fifth had a leadoff infield single on an 0-2 pitch as he outran the Giants starting pitcher Logan Webb to first base. And Hernandez in the bottom of the seventh had a two-out double to the right center field gap. Uh, Lane Thomas on Sunday afternoon was an ad starting center fielder and number seven batter. He went one for four with a single and a stolen base. But there just was not much to the Nats offense in this series. Uh, we did get some homers. Uh, that was good, I guess. Uh, I mean, you know, the Nats only scored the six runs over the three games, but Michael Franco, Riley Adams, and Yadiel Hernandez homered for the Nats uh, in this series. Michael Franco in the 7-1 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Friday night as the Nats starting third baseman and number seven batter went one for three with a solo homer. Franco in the bottom of the eighth smashed a leadoff homer to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 7-1. Uh, that was a good-looking homer by Franco. Uh, the homer per stat cast would have projected 413 feet. Uh, Riley Adams in the 5-2 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon was an at starting catcher and number eight batter. He went one for three with a solo homer. Adams in an at's two-run fifth had a two-out solo homer to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 5-1, uh, despite him having been down to the count at one point at 1-2. Uh, the homer per stat cast had an exit velocity of 104.3 miles per hour. And Yadiel Hernandez in the 12-3 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon was an at starting left fielder and number five batter. He went two for four with a two-run homer and an RBI single. Uh, Yadiel in the Nats one-run first had a two-out RBI single to center field to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1. Yadiel in the Nats two-run third had a two-out two-run opposite field homer to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 4-3. Uh, Yadiel hasn't necessarily played a ton this season, but when he has played, he has hit. Uh, Yadiel over 36 plate appearances in the 2022 regular season, has a batting average of 333, an on-base percentage of 361, and a slugging percentage of 485. Uh, but still, the Nats, over their 18 games 
in the 2022 regular season have totaled just 11 homers, and the Nats team slugging percentage is just 320. I mean, not good enough. Uh, K-Bert Ruiz did have a good game on Sunday afternoon. That was nice to see. He is not off to a very good start offensively, but uh, Ruiz on Sunday afternoon as an Nats starting catcher and cleanup batter, which tells you a lot about the state of the Nats lineup on Sunday afternoon in terms of, you know, the lack of position player depth for the game that Ruiz, who was not having a good offensive season so far, was a cleanup batter. Uh, but he went two for three with a double, an infield single, and a hit by pitch. Uh, but with this Nats offense struggling, uh, the Nats really have very little chance to win right now, given the state of the Nats starting pitching. Uh, the Nats starting pitching is abysmal. And we expected this to be the case. I mean, you always have hope that maybe things won't be quite as bad as you think. Uh, here's something for you. 18 games into the Nats 2022 regular season, the team has a starting pitching ERA of 6.72. Yes, 6.72 is the Nats starting pitching ERA 18 games into the team's 2022 regular season. That tells you all you need to know about the state of the Nats starting pitching right now. Uh, Patrick Corbin in game one of this series against the Giants at Nationals Park was a disaster. Corbin in the Nats 7-1 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Friday night. Seven runs in one and two-thirds innings. Yeah, seven runs in one and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. He issued three walks. He did record four strikeouts, but he threw 60 pitches in his one and two-thirds innings. Corbin now over four starts in the 2022 regular season has an ERA of 11.20 and a whip of 2.56. Now, if his ERA was 2.56, we'd be doing cartwheels. But no, his whip is 2.56. His ERA is 11.20. This off Corbin, as you surely know, having been really bad in the 2020 regular season and then even worse in the 2021 regular season. And boy, was it interesting on Friday night because Corbin on Friday night got booed big time at Nationals Park. Got booed in a manner in which very few Nats players over the years have gotten booed at Nationals Park. Uh, this almost felt like a turning point for Patrick Corbin with the Nats fan. Now, look, uh, with Corbin, I mean, on the one hand, just say, get him out of the rotation. Like, what are we doing here? And I hear you on that, and I get you on that. But the Nats just do not have many other viable starting pitching options right now. And the best course for the Nats with Patrick Corbin continues to be him getting better and the Nats fixing Corbin and then maybe potentially finding a taker for him and trading him, even though the Nats would almost certainly have to take on some of that contract. But, you know, as we keep waiting and waiting for this Patrick Corbin situation to get better, the situation just keeps getting worse. I mean, you take a step back, right? Bad season in 2020, an even worse season in 2021, and now four games into his 2022 regular season, he has an ERA of 1120. You know, that's crazy. This is his age 32 season. This is the fourth season of a six-year, $140 million contract that he signed as a free agent in December 2018. And it really is perplexing why what is happening is happening. Anyone who is paying attention to the Nats knows what is happening with Patrick Corbin. The why behind the what remains a mystery. I tweeted this on Friday night. Hard to think of another star in DC sports with a decline as sudden, 
drastic and unexplainable as Patrick Corbin's. Most guys fall apart due to age and or injury. Neither has been an issue for him, and yet he quantifiably has become the worst starting pitcher in MLB. And I don't think that that's an exaggeration. I'm not being dramatic in saying that. Quantifiably, Patrick Corbin has become the worst starting pitcher in the majors. He, for the 2021 regular season, was dead last among all qualified pitchers in the majors with an ERA of 582. And now this season, through four starts, he has an ERA of 1120. I mean, that to me is a guy who quantifiably is the worst starting pitcher in the majors. And he's not that old. Again, this is just his age 32 season. He has basically zero injury history to be uh, fearing or concerned about in terms of his time with the Nats. And yet, he's having the issues that he's having. Uh, Then came Aaron Sanchez in game two. Uh, and he in game two struggled in his Nats major league debut. Now, it wasn't all bad, but uh, there was enough bad to where, you know, you can only go so far in terms of praising the guy. Uh, So the Nats on Saturday morning selected the contract of Sanchez from AAA Rochester and designated reliever Patrick Murphy for assignment to make room on the 40-man roster for Sanchez. And Sanchez in the Nats 5-2 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon allowed four runs in four and a third innings. Uh, He gave up six hits, a double, and five singles. He issued one walk. He recorded just one strikeout. He did throw 43 of his 64 pitches for strikes. Uh, Sanchez, in the top of the first, gave up a run. He did then toss perfect second, third, and fourth innings, but Sanchez then was charged with three runs in a four-run Giants fourth, during which he got just one out. But You know, Aaron Sanchez is worth understanding here because, like I was just talking about with Patrick Corbin, like, yeah, you love to demote Patrick Corbin to the bullpen. It's enough already with him struggling like this, but the Nats are just so lacking in pitching depth in the organization. And what happened with Aaron Sanchez on Saturday afternoon is a perfect example of this. The Nats needed a spot start on Saturday afternoon. And so who did they go to? Aaron Sanchez, who is a reclamation project. Uh, The Nats this past March signed Sanchez to a minor league contract. This season is his age 29 season. He was taken by the Toronto Blue Jays with the number 34 pick in the 2010 MLB draft. Now, at one time, Aaron Sanchez was a good starting pitcher. Sanchez for the 2016 regular season was number one among qualified pitchers in the American League in ERA at three, but his career since then has fallen apart. Uh, Sanchez over the previous five regular seasons, 2017 through 2021. He did not pitch in the majors in the 2020 regular season. In 307 and two-thirds innings, had an ERA of 5-0-3, okay? He, in September 2019, underwent right shoulder surgery. So this is someone who you're trying to fix, but, you know, this is a long-shot proposition here, fixing Aaron Sanchez. Again, reclamation project, and yet, this is to whom the Nats turned on Saturday afternoon for this spot start. Again, lacking in organizational pitching depth. And then Yoan Adon in game three of this three-game sweep to the Giants at Nationals Park struggled. Uh, Adon in the Nats 12-3 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon allowed five runs in four innings. Uh, He gave up six hits, a homer, a triple, two doubles, and two singles. He issued a walk and a wild pitch. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 70 pitches, 45 strikes, versus 25 balls. Now, he was failed by his defense to a degree. Uh, Adon in the top of the second gave up two runs. I mentioned one of the defensive boo-boos, uh, Adon giving up a leadoff full count single to Tyro Estrada on a bouncer on which 
Michael Franco and Alcides Escobar had their miscommunication or non-communication and collided with each other. Also in that inning was Adone giving up a two-out full count RBI triple to Brandon Belt for a 4-1 Giants lead on a ball that was hit deep to center field, but also on which Lane Thomas could have made the catch but didn't. Now, this was not an easy catch to make, but Lane Thomas, as he was on the warning track, missed on an attempted leaping catch off having turned around while running toward the warning track. So he perhaps lost track of the baseball, but that was a play that could have been made, was not, ended up being an RBI triple for Brandon Belt. Now, Adone then tossed perfect third and fourth innings, so that was good to see, but Adone uh, was charged with a run in the top of the fifth, during which he gave up a first pitch leadoff double to Jock Peterson to the right field corner and then got pulled from the game. So yeah, Patrick Corbin, awful in game one. Aaron Sanchez, not that good in game two. Johan Adon, not so good in game three. The Nats, 18 games into the team's 2022 regular season, have a starting pitching ERA of 672. And so, what has that meant for the Nats bullpen? As we have discussed, uh, the Nats bullpen has been leaned on a ton so far this season. The bullpen, to its credit, lately had been doing well. And the bullpen in this three-game sweep to the Giants at Nationals Park was really good in games one and two, but the bullpen got rocked in game three. So the Nats 7-1 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Friday night. Four Nats relievers combined for seven and a third scoreless innings. Some terrific work, especially by Erasmo Ramirez, who in this game tossed three and a third scoreless innings with three strikeouts. Uh, Then in the Nats 5-2 loss to the Giants, at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon, you had five Nats relievers combining to allow just one run in four and two-thirds innings. But then came the Nats' 12-3 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. Davey Martinez in this game ended up using seven relievers, and those seven relievers combined to allow seven runs in five innings. So think about the bullpen usage here in this series. Game one, the Nats used four relievers. Game two, the Nats used five relievers. Game three, the Nats used seven relievers, okay? This is not sustainable. You can't keep having to use, you know, three, four, five, even seven relievers in games like this, okay? This is absurd. At some point, these starting pitchers have got to be better, but it's hard to have real faith that that's going to be happening. Uh, But this was rough with the Nats bullpen on Sunday afternoon. So first of all, very interesting, Josh Rogers was the first man out of the bullpen. Josh Rogers, who had been in the Nats rotation, uh, for now, he would certainly seem to be the odd man out uh, with him being the first man out of the pen on Sunday afternoon, although he did not pitch for long. So in theory, he could be making a start sometime soon here. Uh, Rogers came into the game in the top of the fifth with a man on second and no outs. He sandwiched getting two outs around giving up a one out full count single to Darren Ruff. And then that was it. Rogers was out of the game. Uh, but the bullpen had problems. Uh, Austin Voth in the top of the seventh gave up a leadoff homer to Jock Peterson, who just killed the Nats on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the homer was to right field, came on a 1-2 pitch, gave the Giants a 6-3 lead. And we also had just a hideous ninth inning for the Nats bullpen. The Giants scored six runs in the top of the ninth as Davey Martinez in that top of the ninth had to use three different relief pitchers because nobody could get the job done seemingly. But Sam Clay, Steve Ciszek, and Paolo Espino, they were the culprits in that giant six-run ninth. Clay, Ciszek, and Espino combined to allow six runs on five singles, two walks, and two hit-by pitches. So 
It's rough for the Nats right now. Again, we knew that the Nats were probably not going to be a very good team this season. We know that the Nats are a rebuilding team, but it still can be frustrating to watch. And this series against the Giants at Nationals Park over the weekend really was rough. Uh, No game for the Nats on Monday, mercifully. Uh, Monday is, in fact, the Nats' first scheduled off day of the 2022 regular season. Nats did get an off day the previous Monday, but that was due to a rainout. So first scheduled off day for the Nats on Monday. And next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park, Tuesday through Thursday. So the Nationals had a very bad weekend in being swept in three games by the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park. The Orioles, though, had a good weekend, though their weekend did include some very bad news. But the O's over the weekend won two or three games at the Los Angeles Angels. Friday night, a 5-3 win. Saturday night, a 5-4 win. Sunday, a 7-6 loss. Uh, So the O's this season now are 6-10, though they are 5-5 since a 1-5 start. But let us address uh, the very bad news from the Orioles' weekend. Uh, John Means revealed that he needs Tommy John surgery. Uh, Terrible news. Uh, Means on Saturday revealed via Twitter that he needs Tommy John surgery. Quote, after multiple MRIs, it's confirmed that I need Tommy John surgery. I'm obviously disappointed, but more motivated than ever. In the meantime, I'm looking forward to watching what this team can do this year, end quote. Uh, Now, the announcement by means that he needs Tommy John surgery certainly was sad, but was not unexpected. Uh, Means in the Orioles' 4-2 loss to the Milwaukee Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on April 13th gave up two runs in four innings on 51 pitches, then left the game due to left forearm tightness. And that immediately sounded alarm bells because anytime you hear of a pitcher having forearm tightness uh, in his pitching arm, uh, you know that that can be a precursor to needing Tommy John surgery. Uh, The O's on April 15th put means on the 10-day injured list retroactive to April 14th with a left elbow strain. So that furthered suspicions of means potentially needing Tommy John surgery. Then came the very cryptic comments from O's manager Brandon Hyde in his pregame press conference on April 16th. Uh, Hyde in that pregame presser would not commit to Means pitching again in the 2022 season. Quote, I don't know that. That's a question mark right now. I wouldn't expect him to pitch anytime soon. End quote. Uh, Then the O's on April 17th transferred Means from the 10-day injured list to the 60-day injured list and relabeled his injury as a left elbow sprain. And now it turns out that he needs Tommy John surgery. Uh, John Means had been the Orioles' best starting pitcher over the previous three seasons, 2019 through 2021. His 2020 season wasn't that good, but he was quite good in the 2019 and 2021 seasons. Remember, Means over his first eight starts in the 2021 regular season was sensational. I mean, he was a Cy Young Award candidate. ERA of 121, whip of 0.71, Means in an Orioles 6-0 win at the Seattle Mariners last May 5th, last Cinco de Mayo, threw a no-hitter. But Means has dealt with his share of left arm injuries. Uh, Means in the 2020 regular season dealt with left arm fatigue. Means in the 2021 regular season was on the 10-day injured list from June 6, 2021 to July 20th, 2021, 
with a left shoulder strain, and now he needs Tommy John surgery on his left elbow. Uh, the O's took means in the 11th round of the 2014 MLB draft out of West Virginia. This season is Means' age 29 season. He is under team control through the 2024 season. So you think about this, Means is out for the rest of this season. He's probably out for at least some of next season. That would mean that his next full major league season won't be until the final season of team control for him with the O's, that 2024 season. So any notion of the O's trading means with multiple seasons left of team control uh, seemingly has lessened drastically, if not gone, bye-bye. But we certainly wish John Means the best. Uh, However, the O's in their series win at the Angels got really solid starting pitching in games one and two, which not so coincidentally were the Orioles' two wins in the series. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman in game one was good. Uh, Zimmerman in the Orioles' 5-3 win at the Angels on Friday night allowed three runs, two earned in six innings with six strikeouts. Uh, He gave up five hits, a homer, and four singles. He issued just one walk. He threw 76 pitches, 51 strikes versus 25 balls. Now, Zimmerman actually pitched into the seventh inning which seemed like a miracle given the state of Orioles starting pitching, at least what we thought was the state of Orioles starting pitching. Uh, But Zimmerman pitched into the seventh. He began it, though, by issuing a five-pitch walk of Mike Trout and then giving up a two-run homer to former national Anthony Rendon, despite him having been down at the count at one point, one-two. But Zimmerman overall was good in this game, and the highlight of Zimmerman's night by far was him tossing a perfect bottom of the fourth with three strikeouts, and the strikeouts were of the Angels' numbers one through three batters, and those batters were Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, and Anthony Rendon, three of the most gifted hitters in baseball, and Zimmerman struck out those guys in succession in a perfect bottom of the fourth in an Orioles win at the Angels on Friday night. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman now, through three starts in the 2022 regular season, has an ERA of 120. Now, his innings total is far from gargantuan, okay? Uh, Zimmerman in the Orioles' 2-0 win over the Milwaukee Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on April 11th tossed four scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Zimmerman in the Orioles' 5-0 win over the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on April 17th tossed five scoreless innings with six strikeouts. And then Zimmerman in this 5-3 win at the Angels on Friday night allowed three runs to earned in six innings with six strikeouts. So, you know, he hasn't like eaten up a ton of innings here in accumulating this ERA of 120, but an ERA of 120 is an ERA of 120, and he has been racking up the strikeouts. So bottom line, very encouraging what Bruce Zimmerman has done so far this season. Uh, This is Zimmerman's age 27 season. Uh, The O's acquired Zimmerman from the Atlanta Braves in the July 2018 trade that sent starting pitcher Kevin Gaussman and reliever Darren O'Day to the Braves. Zimmerman began the Orioles' 2021 regular season as their number three starter, but he struggled and missed a sizable chunk of the season due to injury. Uh, The O's last June 18th in a flurry of roster moves put Zimmerman, who was supposed to have started that night on the 10-day injured list, retroactive to June 15th with left biceps tendonitis. Uh, Then Zimmerman sprained his right ankle in a weight room accident 
following five scoreless and hitless innings at a rehab outing for AAA Norfolk last August 10th. Uh, the O's last August 15th transferred Zimmerman to the 60-day injured list, and then the O's last September 28th reinstated Zimmerman from the 60-day injured list. But great to see Zimmerman doing as he is doing so far this season. Then in game two of the Orioles series win at the Angels, Spencer Watkins was good. Uh, Watkins in the Orioles 5-4 win at the Angels on Saturday night. Two runs in five innings. Uh, This off Watkins in the Orioles 5-1 loss at the Oakland A's last Monday night, having allowed one run in five innings. So Spencer Watkins has been good lately. But then came what happened with Chris Ellis in game three. Uh, He struggled and he left the game with right shoulder discomfort. So Ellis in the Orioles 7-6 loss at the Angels on Sunday, five runs allowed, and he did not record a single out. Uh, Yeah, zero outs, five runs. Not good for a starting pitcher. Uh, Ellis in what ended up being a six-run Angels first faced five batters, gave up three walks, a hit by pitch, and a two-run single. Something was off. Uh, And so he got pulled from the game with what is being called right shoulder discomfort. And that's obviously concerning. So we'll hope for the best here for Chris Ellis. Uh, The O's last September 28th placed Ellis on the 10-day injured list with right shoulder inflammation. So he does have a history of right shoulder problems. But something clearly was off with Ellis on Sunday. I mean, again, he did not record a single out. He ultimately was charged with five runs. He faced five batters, did not get any of those guys out. And he was all over the place. Like I said, issued three walks and a hit by pitch in addition to giving up a two-run single. Uh, the man who relieved Chris Ellis, Travis Lakin Sr., gave up a grand slam to Joe Adele for a 6-0 Angels lead. So that was rough for the O's on Sunday no doubt. I do, though, want to also highlight this in terms of Orioles pitching in this series win at the Angels. Jorge Lopez, as a reliever, more and more looks like he has found his calling at the major league level. Uh, Jorge Lopez, in the 5-4 win at the Angels on Saturday night, improved to 4 for 4 on saves in the 2022 regular season. He tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts, including striking out Shohei Otani. And understand the nature of this strikeout of Shohei Otani. Uh, The strikeout came on seven pitches off Otani, having been ahead in the count 3-0. So Lopez was down to Otani 3-0, and then ends up getting four consecutive strikes to where Lopez struck out the great Shohei Otani in the bottom of the ninth of this one-run win at the Angels on Saturday night. Jorge Lopez now in the 2022 regular season, over nine innings in eight games, has an ERA of two and has 13 strikeouts, 13 strikeouts over just nine innings. Uh, Now, Jorge Lopez is a guy who you have to say is a failed starter, okay? And that's what most relief pitchers are, failed starters. Jorge Lopez in the 2021 regular season, in 113 and a third innings over 25 games as a starter, had an ERA of 635, had a whip of 168. Now, Jorge Lopez last season was dealing with a major off-the-field issue. Jorge Lopez, in a post-game press conference last July 17th, revealed that he had gone on the bereavement list that season due to his son having received a bone marrow transplant as his son had been undergoing chemotherapy. So you can only imagine what last season must have been like for Jorge Lopez, but he struggled as a starting pitcher. However, 
The Orioles then transitioned Lopez to the bullpen. And while the sample size was small, Lopez in the 2021 regular season did quite well as a reliever. Eight and a third innings over eight games, ERA at 216, whip is 096. Well, here we are now in the 2022 regular season. And so far, Jorge Lopez is doing quite well as a reliever and as the Orioles closer. I mean, like I said, four of four on saves, ERA at two, 13 strikeouts over nine innings. So let's see more, okay? We're not going to just plant the flag of victory here for Jorge Lopez, but this is someone who struggled mightily as a starter, but may well have found his calling as a reliever, perhaps not unlike Keegan Aiken, who struggled mightily as a starter for the O's last season, but at least so far this season has been doing pretty well as a reliever. Uh, The O's did finally hit some in their series win at the Angels. The Orioles' offense overall has been brutal so far this season, but the offense did come alive at least somewhat in this series. Uh, The O's totaled 16 runs over the three games. Uh, Trey Mancini in the 7-6 loss on Sunday as a starting DH and number two batter in the top of the third had a one-out three-run homer on a 1-2 pitch. Also had a single and a walk. Austin Hayes on Sunday as a starting left fielder and number five batter in the top of the seventh had a game-tying one-out two-run homer that tied the game at six. So the O's on Sunday overcame that 6 nothing first inning deficit. What ended up becoming a 6 nothing third inning deficit, the O's tied the game at six. That was a great job by the Orioles lineup to get the game tied at six. And Cedric Mullins on Sunday as a starting center fielder and number one batter got on base four times, a double, a single, and two walks. Way too few games so far this Orioles season in which the big boys, you know, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Trey Mancini, have all come through. Uh, But all three of those guys did come through on Sunday. Uh, Hopefully get some more moving forward here from, say, Orion Mountcastle. But it was good to see Mullins and Hayes and Mancini do as they did on Sunday. Hopefully, this Orioles offense finally is starting to awaken. Uh, No game for the O's on Monday. Next up for the O's is a three-game series at the New York Yankees, Tuesday through Thursday. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show will be episode 300 of the Al Galdi podcast. Hard to believe, but the next episode of the pod will be the 300th episode of the pod. Uh, I will have a lot for you on the commanders in preparation for the 2022 NFL draft, including something special. Stay tuned. Uh, Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. The, the pressure about winning doesn't bother me. It doesn't. It, it, it's, it's having to deal with that stuff that's not fair. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.